Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. Well, hey, good morning. Eight o'clock. Those of you who are joining us online, welcome. Uh, so how is everyone's week? Pretty uneventful, pretty calm, you know, just no tension or anything like that. Um, man, what a, what a week it was. And while we waited for the results of the presidential election last week, uh, there was one race that had a clear winner on Tuesday. Uh, the town of Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, elected their new mayor last week. His name is Wilbur. I think we got a picture of him. Up here, he is a six-month-old English bulldog, <laughs> the small historic village on the Ohio River. They've been electing an animal as their mayor for the last uh, three decades, and Wilbur gets to hold that office for the next four years, and, and I don't know about you, but I think he's going to do a pretty good job. Well, you know, like many of you, I spent uh, the last week just kind of watching and waiting and praying, like praying and praying some more, spent a lot of time uh, in prayer for, for our nation, uh, for our unity, and praying uh, just over all of these issues that, that seem to really be dividing us right now as a country. We are, we are divided um, with the election and with the electoral process. We're we're divided politically in a way that leaves many of us just kind of like scratching our heads, wondering if we're ever going to be able to get back to a place of some sort of civility. There's tension that is around race relationships and how do we have meaningful conversations about that. Um, there's still issues over how we handle COVID-19, especially as cases seem to be spiking in, in record numbers. And the list just goes on and on and on. And like, I'm sure even just listing some of those things right now, some of you feel the anxiety just rising up in you. They're just all around us. We are swimming in this. And so what do we do with the tension and with the conflict that, that we just feel day to day. I think our text today actually gives us a really good roadmap to follow. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, I put together this, this sermon series back, uh, I don't know, midsummer. And, and kind of lined out all of the weeks that we were going to be doing. And, and I gave it to some people to look over. And they looked at the last two weeks, you know, last week and then this week. And they said, Sean, do you realize what, what happens in between these two weeks? Like God's word is going to be speaking right to our, our church family um, in, in these two weeks. And, and I really do think that today has a good word for us uh, at this time in our culture. We're in week nine of our series called Radical, where we are taking a look at the radical difference that Jesus makes, the, the all-expansive, all-inclusive difference that Jesus wants to make in our life and in our churches, in our community, and around the world. And last week, we looked at this pivotal text uh, that, 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 that kind of sets a transition, not just in the book of Acts, but really for the rest of the New Testament. God sends Peter to a man named Cornelius to share the good news with, of Jesus with him and his family. Cornelius and, and all who are there underneath his household, they believe, they repent, they are baptized, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this encounter, Peter realizes that God 
does not show favoritism. In fact, he puts it like this, but that God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, we may look at that and say, well, of course he does. But for Peter, this was revolutionary. This was something that was, this was a radical revelation that he kind of came upon, that God led him to. Peter seemed to believe that Jesus came for the Jews alone and that salvation belonged only to them. But at this encounter, encounter Peter discovers the radical inclusion of the kingdom of heaven and that all people are welcomed in, all people who believe in Jesus and follow him. And from Acts chapter 10 on, Luke shows how the gospel begins to spread through the world. In fact, if you uh, have your Bibles open or or a Bible app, skip or, or scroll back just a few chapters to Acts chapter 11, Verse 19. This is what we we read on the heels of where we left off last week as the gospel begins to expand. It it says this uh, in, in Acts 11, 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And so like they, they basically just kind of kept moving on north, um, even heading out into the Mediterranean Sea just a little bit. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so we see this, like, just transformation of lives happening, both Jews and Gentiles, Greek and so forth. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And then look at this. This is a very important line. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The first place where followers of Jesus were identified as Christians was not in Jerusalem. It was in Antioch. And that last line is very interesting because the title Christian is actually only used three times in the entire Bible, three times in the New Testament to describe those who follow Jesus. In fact, that that word Christian was never used by Christ followers to describe themselves. Oftentimes it was used maybe even as an accusation against them. It's a term that others use to describe and to categorize these followers of Jesus, these disciples, these followers of the way as they have become known. And the title actually follows the same grammatical structure that we find in other groups. You have the Caesareans who follow Caesar. You have the Herodians who follow Herod. And these were political parties of the day. But these followers of Jesus were different. 
They didn't neatly conform to one political party over the other. They followed Jesus and they spent more time teaching and talking about his kingdom, his way of living. They differentiated themselves so much from their culture that the culture had to create an entirely new category for them. And so they called them Christians, followers of Jesus. And it reminds me of what Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And people in Antioch saw how these disciples loved God and loved others. And so they gave them a title that reflected the one that they followed. I just thought that was a good word for us today. So now at this point in church history, if you were a follower of Jesus, you were probably of Jewish descent, which meant that uh, you most likely kept the law of Judaism and the customs of Judaism. But now you have people from various nations and religious backgrounds who are starting to follow Jesus. And there is this conflict that breaks out within the church. Can you believe it? There was conflict in the church. And this issue at hand is whether or not these believers should convert all the way to Judaism before following Jesus. And so the questions were, should they be circumcised? Should they be required to observe the the Sabbath? Should they follow uh, purity laws and what they eat and what they abstain from? And these questions became incredibly divisive with passionate arguments and passionate people on both sides. And and we pick it up in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Luke records it like this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. So they were teaching the followers of Jesus this. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so you have this group came later to be known as Judaizers, the one who, who believed that, that you, you can't just have Jesus for salvation. You needed Jesus and something else. You needed Jesus and Judaism. They needed to follow the law if they truly wanted to be saved. And so you can imagine that this you know, brought a little bit of confusion in how it went over with people, especially those who were learning about circumcision maybe for the very first time. Like, whoa, this isn't really what I signed up for here. Paul and Barnabas, they're not having any of it. There's this conflict that breaks out. Paul goes on and later and he writes in in his letters back to the churches that that basically if, if anyone comes up to you and they preach a gospel other than Jesus only, like run as far away from them as fast as you possibly can. And so here we see kind of this first encounter of people teaching Jesus and. You need Jesus and good works. You need Jesus and another piece of Judaism. And so they come in sharp disagreement. In fact, the word dispute that we see in verse 2, it says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. That word dispute is translated in other places as riot or revolt. We certainly know what that looks like, don't we? 
The word that Luke uses to capture the emotionally charged situation that's happening in this argument is the word riot. A riot broke out. And so they go to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders in the church to try to solve this this disagreement. And after a lot of discussion on the matter, Peter gets up, he shares his experience um, again, with, that he had with Cornelius and his household and how the Holy Spirit came on his family just as the Holy Spirit had come on them. And he concludes by saying this in verse 10. <clears throat> he says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter says, listen, we couldn't keep the law. That's why we needed the grace of Jesus. The law was meant to reveal our need for salvation, not not bring us or make us earn our salvation. And so Peter is saying, why should we burden them with something that that we can't even keep? Why should we burden them with the very reason why Jesus had to come in the first place? And after listening to both sides and consulting scripture and seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, James, who is the brother of Jesus and who has become a leader within the church in Jerusalem, he stands up. And he says this in verse 19. He said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, let's, we should not put any unnecessary barriers in between them and Jesus. We should not make it difficult for them turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, And tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. These these were all kind of rituals in pagan worship. And so what, what, what James is saying here is that you don't need Jesus and, you just need Jesus only. You're free to go and to follow him, but as you do, pursue a holy life. Pursue a life that is separate and different from the culture that is all around you. Don't engage in worship with those things that the culture worships. And so that message is captured in a letter and it is sent out all throughout the church and there was much rejoicing at the decision that was made. Now, I think that this passage speaks so much (laughs) to our culture today. In fact, you're probably already kind of drawing some conclusions, even as we just walked through through this story. There's a conflict that breaks out with heated arguments on both sides. Riots ensue as people try to make their voice heard. There's a, a, a clashing of cultures and Traditions that, that almost seems irreconcilable. It, it seems like it's going to be impossible to work through. 
And the stakes couldn't be higher, which only magnifies the sense of urgency that people feel. That is the context of our text today, but, but it also kind of sounds a lot like the context of our culture today, doesn't it? And so what can we learn from the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 that might help us as we navigate through this emotionally and politically charged time when it comes to this idea and this concept of reconciliation, of radical reconciliation, reconciliation that is informed and guided by Jesus. I think the first lesson that we can learn is this. Don't run to conflict, but don't run from it either. Don't run to conflict, but don't run from it either. We probably all know people who are very quick to run to conflict, right? They just kind of gravitate towards them or it follows them around wherever they, they go. It's, it's like they're not happy unless they are miserable and making everyone else miserable. And they never miss an opportunity to be offended by someone or something they are quick to get angry and slow to listen. They get angry at even the slightest offense, whether it involves them or not. Do you know anyone that's like that? You know, I do, and sometimes I look at them in the mirror in the mornings. <laughs> I think we all kind of have tendencies to navigate towards that at times. Someone once said, you don't have to attend every argument to which you are invited. <laughs> I like that. That's a good word. But I think that there are some conflicts that are worth engaging in. There are some things that are worth standing for and fighting for. And we see that even, even this week as our nation celebrates Veterans Day. We, we honor that, that, that character in our veterans who stood and, and defended our country. And so there are some things that are worth standing for. Paul and Barnabas must have felt the very same way about this issue. They, they knew that they couldn't just ignore this. They knew that, that if, they, if they ignored it or swept it underneath the rug, this was just going to, to grow and grow. And all of a sudden, the church was going to move further and further away from the true gospel of Jesus only. And so they couldn't ignore it any longer. An unaddressed conflict tends to grow, doesn't it? It weighs on our hearts. It stresses us out. It consumes our mental energy as we sit there and we have imaginary conversations and about all the things that we would say to that person if they were right in front of us. If you find yourself being consumed by anger and bitterness and resentment over a situation, it's a good sign that there is some kind of unresolved conflict that needs to be addressed. And the first step towards reconciliation in any relationship, a marriage, a friendship with family members in a community, the first step is intentionally stepping into that conflict, even if it's hard. And you might need to take a friend with you. You might need to do it in a counseling room. But your first step towards reconciliation might be a step into conflict. Don't be afraid of it because it's a step that you must take if you truly want to resolve and reconcile a situation. 
The second lesson on reconciliation that we see in our text is this. Talk to the person, not about the person. Talk to the person, not about the person. When there is conflict, it is so much easier to talk about the person, isn't it? And that's why so many of us do it. And when we talk about people, what we're actually doing is we're just looking for affirmation. We're looking for people to come alongside of us and say, oh, you are so right. I can't believe that they treated you like that. And we're looking for people to say that we are right and they are wrong. We're not actually trying to resolve the conflict or restore the relationship. If we were, we would have gone and talked to the person, not about the person. And in the account of the Jerusalem council, we see these brothers and sisters in Christ talking to one another about the differences that they have. And and it seems from what we can read, it seems like sometimes it got even just a little bit heated, but still they were engaging in conversation with one another, not about one another. Nothing productive comes from talking talking about others behind their back. And as difficult and as comfortable, uncomfortable as it might be, if you want to reconcile a relationship, you have to have honest conversations with the other person or with a group in a spirit of love and humility. The third lesson is seek to understand more than being understood. In our, in our text, we see uh, on display the lost art of listening. <laughs> I mentioned last week, but so often we listen to respond, not to understand. But if you're actually seeking reconciliation, you're going to try to understand what the other person is thinking and feeling. And not just what they are thinking and feeling, but why they are thinking and and feeling it. When you truly listen to what others are thinking and feeling, oftentimes you'll find that, that what it all boils down to is a fear. And, and if you're really honest about yourself, it's probably a fear that you share with them. You're just approaching it in different ways. And so listen to understand and to empathize rather than trying to formulate your argument so that they will understand you. There's so much anger and pain in our world today. And people are hurting because they feel like no one is listening to them. And so if you feel like no one is listening, then you feel like you have to shout even louder. And you begin to feel like no one cares. And if you feel like no one cares, then it just leads to more anger and more fear. And instead of calls for cheap unity that ignores the pain and the concerns of others and just ask them to bury it or to get over it and them asking you to do the same thing. I believe that the church should be leading the charge and listening to and learning about one another. It does not mean that we're going to agree 100% on everything all the time, but we will be able to understand one another. And when you're able to understand the pain and the fear that other people are experiencing, I believe that that is when you can minister and you can serve and you can love the way that Jesus did. You can lead and you can serve and you can care from a place of empathy and compassion. Fourth, if you want to reconcile a relationship, let Scripture and the Holy Spirit guide you. 
I think all of us can get a little bit of a case of confirmation bias from time to time. We feel strongly about something, and so we start looking for anything that we can to confirm what we believe. Instead of starting with your bias or your belief, look for confirmation and start scanning Scripture first. Seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. And then submit your opinion and your position to them. In Acts chapter 15, James looks to Scripture to settle the debate and to point them in the right direction. He even quotes right there an Old Testament passage that talks about the gospel and and, and God's kingdom being open to even the Gentiles. And, And they allow that and Scripture and the Holy Spirit to guide their discussion, not their preconceived and strongly held beliefs and ideas. In the letters to the churches, they even wrote these words. They said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. And notice that they did not say, hey, it seemed good to us, and then we found some things that supported it in Scripture to make it feel good. They were first led by the Holy Spirit, and they aligned their will and submitted their opinions to the guidance of Scripture and the Holy Spirit first. They became indifferent to all but the will of God. Fifth, clear, create clear expectations and boundaries. Come to conclusions and next steps together, just as the early church did. You know, they, they talked about this, they prayed about this, they let the Holy Spirit and Scripture guide us, and they said, here's our conclusion. And they sent that out clearly. And communicate them clearly so that everyone knows the guardrails that will protect the relationship moving forward. I can't tell you how many times my, my wife and I have gotten into an argument because of unfulfilled expectations. <laughs> so be clear about what you want and what you need in order to move forward and be open to what the other person wants and needs as well. And then finally, forgive as you have been forgiven. It's, it's incredibly ironic that this chapter on reconciliation in Acts chapter 15 held up for for centuries as as a model of how to reconcile relationships within the church. It's ironic that Acts chapter 15 closes with a dispute that breaks out between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas get into uh, a conflict that actually causes them to go different directions. They, they got into a disagreement over John Mark who bailed on them in a, in, in a time of need. Paul thought that they didn't need to, anything to do with him. They just needed to move on, that, that he had already proven himself and he was unreliable. Barnabas felt like uh, Mark deserved another chance. And so Barnabas and Mark went in one direction and Paul and Silas went in another. But what we find in Paul's letters is that somewhere along the way, he and Mark reconciled their differences. He forgave him. And Paul speaks well of Mark to other churches, telling them, invite him, welcome him in. As Paul is in his final days, he sends a letter and he says, please send John Mark to be by my side. 
I think that the heart of any reconciliation is forgiveness. And when you remember how much you have been forgiven in Christ, it makes it just a little bit easier to extend that forgiveness to someone else. So as we close this morning, I just want to ask, is there, is there anyone today that, that you feel like you are in conflict with? Is there a relationship that, that needs to be reconciled? If so, I want to ask you, what is your next step going to be? Based on everything that we just talked about this morning, what is your next step going to be? Maybe your next step is acknowledging that there's conflict and tension. And instead of ignoring it or sweeping it underneath the rug, you, you take that difficult first step of humbly addressing it, bringing it up and say, hey, there's something here between us and we, and we need to work it out because I love you more than I love this tension. <laughs> and so let's figure it out and let's work through it together. Is there someone that you need to stop talking about and start talking to? Today, do you need to apply the wisdom of James and be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Is there a person or a group that you need to try to understand it from their perspective, try to understand why they think and why they feel what they think and what they feel so that you can grow in empathy and compassion for them rather than rage and resentment? Do you need to submit your opinion to the word of God and to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and let it shape you and challenge your thoughts and your actions and your feelings towards others? Is there a relationship that just seems to be a source of constant tension and conflict that you need to create clear expectations and boundaries around? Or is there someone that you need to forgive today in light of the forgiveness that you have received in Christ? We're gonna move into a time of communion right now where we remember that forgiveness that we have received. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter five that we have been reconciled to God, that, that we were once enemies of God, but now we are his friends. And it's not because of anything that we have done. It is because of what Jesus did for us. And then he tells us that now we have been given that ministry of reconciliation to go out as Christ ambassadors, that people see Jesus in us more than they see anything else. And we are given this ministry of reconciliation to bring the world back together and back to God. And so as we reflect this morning on the length that our father went through to bring us back to him, to reconcile our relationship with him. Man, I encourage you just once again to pray a prayer of gratitude and to ask God, is there any place, is there any person, is there any group that you want me to take this reconciliation that I have received and extend it to others today? Let's pray. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the Upward Vision.